As you're being seated, if you want to grab your Bibles out, turn to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, we have, uh, most of my sermons this year actually think have come out of the Gospel of Luke. Luke is a physician. He's a physician, become historian, uh, as he looks at the life and ministry of Jesus and is doing his best through the guidance of the Holy Spirit to let us know um, about what Jesus did and who he was and why he did what he did. And so today uh, we see a text from Luke 5, beginning in verse 27, and I'll read through verse 32 here. It says, after this, hold on to that, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and tax collectors, or but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. Just heard that amen come from Pastor John in the back. He wore a hat last week while he was preaching. <laughs> when he called me and we discussed his message, I hadn't listened or seen it yet. He said, yeah, I wore an Ohio State hat last week, hoping that it would help them to resurrect their season. I thought he was joking. <laughs> uh, it was good to see um, that he was up here and having fun with that. Uh, in, in around March of 2020, a little bit before that, actually, actually in February is when I received a call about the seriousness of the novel coronavirus. I, I received it from a friend in the healthcare. Uh, field, a doctor who's a good friend of mine, and he said, Josh, I sent my wife out to go get a bunch of groceries because I'm not really sure what is coming. When I heard that, I was pretty alarmed because this person that I was talking to is not an alarmist. He's, quite, he's actually a lot like me. He's fairly laid back and um, not super worried typically about himself um, and typically not over worried about his family. But when he said he sent his wife out to get a bunch of groceries, I told Emily, uh, Emily, you might want to go to Aldi, and we might want to start stocking up. Hopefully, it is nothing. But what happened is COVID-19, or this novel coronavirus, was basically introduced to North America and the world, and we began to shut down pretty much everything. I mean, we shut down schools. Eventually, we closed the doors to the church. The church should never shut down itself. We are the church, but we closed the doors to the church building and started going virtual with virtually everything. Workplaces scrambled to try to figure out what to do, whether or not they could gather and what to do about this virus that we are still dealing with to a certain extent. Hospitals began to get more and more patients with this virus that we hadn't seen. And we were trying to figure out how to treat this thing that seemed to spread very easily, but we didn't really know how it was spreading or what was going on. And there were a lot of unknowns early on with the coronavirus. And these unknowns, what they did is they sparked a lot of fear in people. 
those inside and outside of the healthcare uh, industry were, was pretty scared as they were trying to figure out what to do with the virus. Now, I paid special attention to those in the healthcare field because I assumed that they were the ones, if I were going to get sick or if my family members were going to get sick, were either going to treat me, take care of me, or come up with a cure for treatment, care, and so forth. So I am like, I'm listening to them and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what are they doing? What are they thinking? How are they even dealing with this? And one of the things that I discovered is a lot of them, not all of them, and, and be very careful here. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus at all. This is not my intention here. But a lot of them were contemplating themselves whether or not they wanted to go into work because of the unknowns. Did they want to put their own lives at risk? Or put their ones that they love at risk. As they went home, did they want to take the virus to their children, to their spouses, to the aging parents that they were responsible for? And as I was hearing and kind of watching some of these conversations take place, I began to worry because, um, like I said, these were the people that I was hoping would take care of me or my loved ones if they ended up in the hospital or if they ended up with this disease that we didn't know a lot about. And so I began to wonder if... These people aren't there. Who would help be there for us or who would bail us out if we got sick? I also started to kind of ask myself and would just think as I would kind of hear these conversations. Again, this is complex, but didn't they kind of sign up to help take care of the sick and the hurting? Didn't they kind of sign up just in case something like this happened that they would be there? Weren't they the ones that are, were kind of supposed to find a cure and help us to find a way to treat this? But this is new. A lot of us hadn't dealt with something like this. Maybe since the polio epidemic. You know, and even that, as far as, as the scale was not as big as some of the things that have gone on. And so it's probably been since the 1950s, since we've really had to contemplate some of this and be prepared for something like this. So these healthcare workers, as I was kind of watching, were kind of struggling to try to figure out what to do. And I, I wanted to listen. I wanted to understand, like, why? Right? What, what were most of them kind of saying, thinking, and so forth? And so I, I noticed, or I heard one thing, and I kind of noticed the second. Here's the one thing that I heard constantly, is that they didn't have the necessary PPE that they needed to care for people. Our country had kind of outsourced all the protection that they needed, and so they were afraid if we were going to go into the hospital, we don't actually have what we would typically wear to treat people that are extremely infectious. And so they didn't feel like they could go into the workplace and be safe or be protected themselves because they didn't have what they needed to be protected. All the PPE was being used by everyone and everywhere, including in the hospitals. And we had an influx of people going into the hospital. So they didn't have this, the, the, the protection that they needed. The second, which I just think is interesting just in general, I, I had a psychology minor and I just kind of like to listen and kind of figure out what is going on in people's heads, was what I realized is that as people were struggling with this, for many, this was actually the first time they were ever really thinking about, like, or trying to answer this question, what if I am at risk in my own work? How far am I willing to go? How far am I willing to go to carry out my occupation in this way as a healthcare system? Like, a lot of people were kind of, for the first time, contemplating what were they willing and weren't willing to sacrifice with a high possibility of them themselves getting sick? 
I mean, I, I had thought about this. Like, what would I do if there was an epidemic that I could get caught up in? Like, what, what would I have done in their shoes? I just want you to think about that as we get into this text here this morning. This text, before we get into this story, or as we get into this story, we didn't read this story. We, we kind of skipped over it to get here. But I, I need to let you know about what's going on. There's another story that's pretty familiar, and it's about a leper. A leper comes up to Jesus, and uh, leprosy could be fairly contagious, especially then. They didn't really know how it spread. Um, and when you got it, you were, you were pretty much doomed. You're going to have it for the rest of your life. And so lepers had their own colonies. They had places that they were supposed to stay to and keep to. You didn't touch lepers. You weren't really supposed to be around them. And this leper comes up to Jesus, and he's asking Jesus to be healed by him. And Jesus walks up to the leper and Jesus touches the leper, and he heals him. Now, this touch is intentional in the Bible because it shows this leper that Jesus cares, that he cares. Jesus could have just, at the sound of his word, healed the leper, but Jesus touches him to show he cares. But not only that, Jesus does something really interesting. He actually ignores the tradition for people like Jesus that told him not to touch lepers. If you go back to Leviticus 14, you can read about this. It actually encourages people like Jesus not to touch the leper. And so Jesus ignores this tradition and touches him, and it's going to get Jesus kind of in trouble here. This, this, the Pharisees and the scribes, as they're watching this, they're, they're seeing Jesus' ministry take place, and so he, he's touching people that could com- contaminate him physically, that could make him sick physically, that could ruin his ministry physically. And so they're watching this, and also that can make him unholy. It's a story about a contamination that Jesus doesn't seem to be concerned about. This story about Levi is a different story about contamination. It's a story about healing, but of a different kind. The leper needed physical healing. Levi is going to need his soul healed. He's going to need spiritual healing. The leper was physically corrupt. The tax-collecting Levi is morally corrupt. Tax collectors were hated then, just as they're not loved now. Four kind of different reasons. Tax collectors then were traitors. They were traitors. These are Jewish tax collectors that Jesus is eating with. Levi is a Jewish man. And this Jewish man is working for the Roman government. Rome is occupying their country. It has taken over their country and now is taking, collecting taxes from God's people and God's country. And so tax collectors are employed by an occupying government that is taking God's people's money and it's giving it to Caesar. And so in one sense, all tax collectors that are Jewish in this era, they're, they're traitors. They have basically joined the Roman Empire in collecting funds to filter out and to funnel to the Roman Empire, which is occupying the people of God. Uh, The second reason people generally didn't like tax collectors is because the nature of their work, the nature of how they earned money, was when they collected taxes, they had an upcharge, and that upcharge went into their pocket. That's how they made money. And there was virtually not a lot that you could, so you can see how the corruption could take place there. And there's virtually not a lot that you could do as an everyday citizen to stop that upcharge. And so you have these traders who are then making their money 
off the people that are putting in their pocket, so they're not very well liked. And so Jesus here, who is an upstanding Jewish citizen, is going to this unclean, this corrupt, and this sick person and his soul, and he is not worried about contamination, though, as we look at his time with Levi and his friends, but he is going to be concerned about the healing of Levi. That is why I've titled this message, A Hospital for Sinners. A Hospital for Sinners. Because that is what Jesus wants his church to be. Jesus teaches that Christians are doctors, the church is supposed to be a hospital, and that Jesus is the medicine. That Christians are healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, name it. The church is supposed to be a hospital, and Jesus himself is the medicine. And I want to talk about two big ideas and kind of break that down a little bit as we think about this as the people of God and as the church. And the first that we see in the text is this, is that Jesus seeks people out. Jesus went out to Levi. So Levi was out there. (laughs) Jesus went to him. Jesus didn't just wait for Levi to come to him. Jesus went to Levi. And so we don't see Jesus just waiting. Jesus is somebody who goes. We think about the Great Commission, go unto all the world. Where do we get that idea from? Well, Jesus said it, but Jesus also did it. And so we see Jesus going to Levi, and not only as he goes to Levi and asks Levi to follow him, then we see Jesus in a dinner party, basically, with Levi and all of his friends. So Jesus is getting himself out of his house into somebody else's house, and he's having dinner with a bunch of people that he's not supposed to be around because they could make him morally unpure himself. And so Jesus is there. He's with them. He's having dinner with them. You can imagine the conversations that would go on. Now, when we first become Christians, this is often kind of the way we behave. This is the way our lives still work because we're mostly friends with people who aren't followers of Jesus. And so there's nothing really more exciting for me a lot of times about baptizing somebody or somebody just becoming a Christian for the first time or even kind of joining our church for the first time a lot of times because I know there's this excitement that goes on. And usually they are having conversations with people who are different than us in a way. And usually they'll, they'll be, they'll be t- yeah, I invited so-and-so to church, I did this, I did this, I did this. But what happens often as their lives go on, they get wrapped up in the life of the church. You kind of get in your groups or whatever that might be, and you begin to sound, surround yourself with other Christian believers, which, by the way, a lot of that should take place. All of these other kind of relationships, to a certain extent, sometimes fall to the wayside. And we get to, I I see a lot, like we get to a point probably in our lives where we actually don't have a lot of friends outside of the church. Not everybody does this, but a a lot of people do this. And so we stop inviting people. We stop sharing our faith. We stop going out like Jesus went out. This is why even in our groups this year, I've realized this, like in in our growth groups, this is why I'm encouraging you to invite other people to your growth groups that aren't a part of the church. Invite them to have meals with you. When you see people who are visiting in our our church, you should have conversation. You should, you should, they are already here. Like they already did the hard part. They didn't, you didn't even have to go out. Like they're here. Make sure you're going up to them. And and say, you like, maybe not these words, but we have like, we have, 
it's over here. We have belong up there. <laughs> Remind them, you belong here. You, whether you know it or not, you belong here as we follow Jesus. And they do. Every single person belongs here because they need Jesus Christ. They need to follow him just like we do. What Jesus does here is really interesting. I mean, he's not soft about this. Jesus goes to Levi and he calls him to repentance. He said, I'm going to call sinners to repentance. Now that makes us a lot, a lot of us nervous, right? When we start thinking about sitting down with people and saying, you need to repent. I, I, I mean, it's, you know, and I get it because that's kind of how we've heard it a lot. And, and people do, like we, we need to repent. But a lot of us only think of the word like repentance kind of in one way. And it's, it's, it's this way, it, or it's the idea that right away, we are making the decision to no longer be the Lord of our own lives. And we're going to give our life to Jesus. And then we're going to receive salvation in which we understand that Jesus Christ has forgiven us of all of our sins. He has justified us before God. And we are right before God. We no longer have our own righteousness, but we have God's righteousness and we are forgiven. And if we understand that, we are internally grateful and we'll attend eternity with God. And that is something I am I am very grateful for and never want to downplay. And if you've never done that, if you've never given Jesus your life and you've never asked for the forgiveness of sins, that is part of repentance and I hope you will do it. I don't want to downplay that at all. That's often the, the very first step and the most important step to following Jesus. But there's more to repentance than that for the Christian. There's more than that. We are people who continue to repent. We are people who live lives of repentance. Jesus' message when he shows up, you can see it in Luke, you can see it in Mark, you can see it in, in Matthew. His first words that he speaks in ministry is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is showing up and he's telling us there's a different way to live life. There's a different way of going about everything that we are going about. The word repentance itself just simply means to turn around. It means that if you're going in one direction, you should turn around and go in another direction. And so as Christians, when we think about repentance, we're going to repent the first time. We're going to give our lives to Jesus Christ. But what we often find ourselves doing as we are following Jesus Christ, reading his word, coming to church on Sunday morning, is we discover that we are actually thought we were walking in the right direction and we were following Jesus Christ. And then Pastor Josh or somebody said something, or you read in your Bible like, oh, <laughs> Jesus does not want me to do this. Like he would not have me to think this way. He would not have me to act this way. So what do you do? You follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit and you turn around and you repent. Even after you become a follower of Jesus Christ. It's about a life of repentance. So in the church, we, those of us, if this is the case, not only are we healthcare workers, but we're also the patients. We're also the patients in this hospital. And we are confident enough that we can tell others that we have the cure to any ailment. But we are also on the same medicine everybody, we're trying to put everybody else on. And when you stop needing Jesus yourself, you become like the scribes and like the Pharisees who were self-righteous and off-putting to the general public 
And even worse, they disregarded Jesus and his ministry. I love, we have uh, Romanians that attend church here. And uh, when you were here, if you were here when Pastor Paul, one of their pastors came and spoke, he actually called the Christians. He calls Christians over in Romania. This is what they're called. They're called repenters. That's their identity. That's who we are. And so as we ask people to repent, what we are doing is we are showing them lives of people who are actively repenting each and every day. We are trying to change our lives. We're inviting people in. Come follow Christ as we follow Christ. Come follow Christ as I follow Christ. And you know what? I don't have it all together, but Jesus does, and I am trying to follow him. Would you like to join? So the first thing Jesus does is he seeks people out. He seeks people out and he calls them to repentance. The second thing I just want us to see, because I think we all deal with this, is that Jesus isn't afraid of sinners. I know people don't like being labeled sinners, but this is what Jesus says. (laughs) That's what he calls them. He calls sinners to repentance. And if you're here this morning, right, and you don't like being called that, that's cool. (laughs) Um, I get it. That's not the primary way I think about you. Um, But we all deal with sin. We are all sinners in need of a savior, right? Jesus isn't afraid of contamination, of people who are dealing with sin and have junk in their life. And neither should we if we realize what Jesus has called us to and who we are. Now, I know there are some separation passages in the Bible. I'm going to share a few, right? I'm going to share a few here. 1 Corinthians 15, It says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. This may have kept you from some people, and I get that. Second one here, I've used this before. I've had fun with this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools suffered harm. Good reason, Pastor Josh, not to be around fools, <laughs> not to surround myself with bad company. And this is what makes the Bible both beautiful and complex. We have to try to understand what passages mean like this when we have a passage like this in Luke. Like what is going on here? And so just let me explain and maybe help us think about this. In 1 Corinthians 15, what we have going on is we have people who have penetrated the church and are even teaching that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, along with all the implications of that. And so it would kind of be like me inviting people up here on a Sunday morning during worship as we were trying to organize the church and help people celebrate the resurrection of the dead and and the the glory of Jesus, giving them my pulpit and saying, lead these people. And what Paul is trying to remind the church there is, yeah, they shouldn't be your leaders. Uh, If that is what's going on in the church, you need to reorganize the church a little bit here. Uh, When we think about Proverbs, the passage in Proverbs, what Proverbs is in in general, as you read through Proverbs, is they're truisms. And it means they're generally true. It's good and godly wisdom. And so as we think about the book of Proverbs, and we think about Proverbs 13, that... (laughs) Those who walk with the wise become wise, and a companion of fools suffers harm in the context of the church. You should have Christian friends. You should have people who are depending on the wisdom of God in your life. If you don't and only have fools in your life, only have people who neglect God's wisdom in your life, you probably will suffer harm. Because we, we are communal people. We need friends. We need people to encourage us. We, we need people to call us to repentance. We, we, need, we need people to help cheer us on and make sure that we are following God. Now, 
That does not mean, these verses do not mean that you should completely separate yourself from everybody who does not know, love, or follow Jesus. Especially in relationship to what Jesus did, what he said, and what he'd have us to do. And yet, I know we still have some fears. So two things I want to say about our fears, and then we're going to take communion together. The first is this, is that we are in Christ and we have put on Christ. Followers of Jesus Christ are in Christ and have put on Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, 26-27 says this, For all are children of God through faith in, Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. So being in Christ means that you are forgiven of all sin and you have been given a new life, a life represented by the love and life of Jesus. That belongs to you. And you have put on this life. This is one of the things that actually takes place. This is one of the reasons you get baptized is you are showing that you are in Christ, that you have put on Christ, that God has washed you clean of all of your sins, that you are forgiven, that you are a child of God that we sang about, that God loves you, he cares about you, that you are his it's, it's, it's yours, that life is yours, and that you've made that commitment to be his child and to follow him. This is a commitment that you made then. It's a commitment and a decision that you make every day, being in Christ. It's there. Now, you also, you also have put on Christ. I've used this example before, but I, I just like it. Um, it helps me remind myself of this, and we just need to be reminded of this. And, and, and C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he's got this chapter called Let's, Pre Let's Pretend. On the front end of the chapter, he talks about things that are actually real in your identity in Christ and where Christ is in your life. And he reminds the person who follows Jesus Christ, who knows Jesus Christ, that the real presence of Jesus Christ by being in Christ is in you. Do you realize that? The real presence of Christ is in you. This is, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what Paul is saying here in Galatians. So Christ is, with, Christ is with you right now. Christ is in you right now. Christ is in front of you. He's behind you. He's, 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 he's everything right now. He's here in this place right now. And so he's, there's this real presence of Christ that you have. And so he calls Christians in this way, little Christ. Where you go, Jesus Christ goes. But he also says there takes some imagination that we have to have in our lives so that this is lived out in a way that others can see, and that actually changes us into the likeness of Christ. And he, this is where the idea of pretending comes into play. And he talks about actually like a child would dress up as a fireman or something like that and play dress up and they become a fireman. You too dress up as Jesus Christ as you go out into the world. Like, you have, to, you have to think about that. You have to imagine that. That I am putting on my Jesus clothes. Right? Just as my child would put on his fireman clothes, grow a little mustache, right? And go out into the world. When we go out, as we go out as Jesus does, sometimes we have to remind ourselves, like, I am clothed in Christ and I am putting on Christ. Now, my kids don't become, like, a, a, a fireman with a different fireman's personality. They are a fireman with their own personality still. Right? And so you get to put Christ on with your personality and you get to go out in the world and people see Christ in you. They see Christ through you. 
Because that is what you are and that is what you do. And so we need to have some confidence as we go out. And we need to not be so often afraid. Some, for some of us, we're so afraid that the world is going to rub off on us and not live in this reality that Christ is in us and that Christ can rub off on other people. Like, he can and he will through you and in you. The second idea behind Jesus not being afraid of sinners, and I think we should take with us, is this, is that we are in the church and we need to be the church. We are in the church and we need to be the church. Uh, you catch, I think it's verse 30 here, I didn't write it down in my notes, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples. His disciples. We are very individualistic. And so anymore I keep trying to point out how really the Bible is not. They complained to his disciples. They complained to a group of Jesus' followers here. Now, this complaint didn't all happen while Jesus was with the tax collectors. So if you read the story, what takes place is it's a condensed story. Jesus is eating with the tax collectors, and then likely the group of Pharisees come to Jesus' disciples probably later on. And what they're doing, they're just noticing what Jesus' ministry looks like. And they're complaining about Jesus' ministry here to his disciples Later on, and they're, they're saying, well, gee, you're, you're Lord, your master, the person that you're following, you do realize what he's doing, right? He's spending time with all of these people that you really shouldn't be around. You see, Jesus had a habit of doing this. This is why Jesus is, he, did you know Jesus was accused and, in the scriptures of being both a drunk and a glutton? Now, we can assume that Jesus wasn't, but he definitely hung out with the people who were. Uh, not only that, when we think, no, Jesus is doing this, Jesus was one of these people who took people along with him. His disciples were with him. The people who started the first church, the early church, they were people who did the type of ministry that Jesus did. They went out. They hung out with these people. The first church was a hospital for sinners. That's what the first century church look like. Two more things I want to say about the church being a hospital for sinners. And then we're going to celebrate together with communion. The first is simply this. Church, what do you need right now? This is a hospital. What do you need right now? Where have you been hurting? What are you hiding? What are you struggling with? What have you been turning to that's not God? What has been bringing you pain and suffering? And for whatever reason, since you become a Christian or maybe you've gotten into the life of the church, you believe that it means that you should never struggle again, so you're just suppressing it and you just keep hiding it. What are you struggling with right now that if you don't give it to God or ask the people of God for help, that it will destroy you? You see, when you became a Christian, 
You didn't become immune from temptation. This is why we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Deliver me from temptation. You didn't become immune from sin or suffering. When you became a Christian, what you did is you recognized that you have someone that in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your hardship, in the midst of your suffering, that you have somebody who can be there in the midst of it and can help bring healing. You recognize that you are not your own. And that if you are trying to control your life, manipulate it, or fix it yourself, you're just going to mess it up. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll admit, this has been a really hard year for everyone. It's been an especially hard year for some people. And you need this place on Sunday mornings. You need your friends here on Monday through Saturday to be there for you. I need it. Do you need it? And so what do you need to give to God today that you are trying to fix under your own power? and your own authority, hoping that you can make it right, knowing that only Jesus can bring healing in that area of your life. Yes. Those of us who are in Christ and have put on Christ, I mean, we're doctors, we're nurses, we're the healthcare workers. And we should be seeking people out and we should be telling them about the medicine and telling them uh, about Jesus, but we have to make sure that we are taking it ourselves. Because you can get in the habit of prescribing it. You can get in the habit of basically this is what it sounds like and just complaining about everybody else out there and their problems, their sin, their stuff, and neglecting to take it yourself. And if you get in the habit of that, just like the Pharisees, just like the Sadducees, just like the scribes, you will spiritually die. So I'm asking, what does somebody, someone need to know who's in this church? What do they need to know about you before it destroys you? Someone you can go to and walk alongside. You don't have to come up here. I'm not going to make you come up here and spill your guts to everybody. Right? That's not what you should do. One person right now, maybe, that's all you need that you can trust. You need to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need healing in this area of my life. Will you walk beside me? Will you be there for me? What have you turned to that's destroying you? It could be alcohol. Maybe you're having spousal troubles, you can't get along. Maybe you're just angry all the time at your kids, you need help. Struggling with depression, doubt. I mean, there's so much that's going on with not just us in the church, I mean, everywhere. It's been a hard year. This is a hospital. It's a hospital. I want to end by reading these words to the church. Hebrews 10, 23 through 26. 
Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to act, to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that in the day of his return is drawing near. When we meet together, we come together to encourage one another. People mess up all the time, all the time. And we have moments when we give into the flesh. We have seasons of doubt. We say things that we wish we hadn't. But in Christ, there is no condemnation for the repenter. For the one who sees their need for Christ and turns around, we are there for them. We're there for them. For the person who knows that they need help, this place should be a safe place, a hospital where people are not afraid to deal with their messy and broken stuff that Jesus wants to deal with and be there for and offer grace. So church, this must always be a place where we come both as healers inviting people in and the ones seeking treatment. A few weeks ago, we got a phone call. Well, I didn't get a phone call. My mom got a phone call. She's a nurse. I love healthcare workers, so... Like I said, I'm not going to throw you under the bus. Mom got a phone call, call from somebody who had COVID, uh, the spouse of the person who had COVID, the person that had it really bad, really bad. Um, they hadn't been vaccinated, and uh, they were struggling with it greatly. They were kind of in the age of getting to be high risk, and uh, they had avoided going to the hospital. And even their first call into the hospital, the first thing the doctor asked while on the phone was, well, have you been vaccinated? And it seemed, they said, the doctor just seemed kind of smug. I'm not sure if we trust taking him to the hospital. I don't know what will happen. All of these sorts of things. And we have lost, a lot of us have lost trust in basic institutions, which is a whole another sermon for another time. Um, but it pertains to the church as well. So eventually my mom called over to the hospital. Some people that she knew at work there. And so she's walking this couple through this process of trying to figure out whether this guy should go to the hospital and get treatment because his breathing is laboring. It's, it's getting pretty bad. They're not really sure what is going on. And my mom is trying to convince them to go to the hospital. They eventually go to the hospital. When he gets to the hospital, uh, they do kind of the chest x-rays. They do testing all the blood levels, all the things that they could do. And they prescribe him some treatment and they sent him home. And they said, we think you are going to be okay think you are going to be okay. It took him a couple days to convince himself to go to the hospital, get the treatment that he needed, and to have the peace of mind that he needed, or that to be given the peace of mind of going to the hospital, that he was going to be okay as he was sent home. I, I just tell you this story because I don't want people to be afraid of the church and the way this man was afraid to go to the hospital. It's not the kind of church that Jesus envisioned. He envisioned this place to be a hospital for sinners. People who see their need for Jesus know that, hey, yeah, I got some things in my life that I need to change. And those people over there, they'll walk beside me. They'll treat me. They'll love me. And they will offer me grace. So church, remember these words. Because we need to be a hospital for sinners. Let us pray. Father, we come to you and we come to Jesus. And we are so thankful for the way that he has brought a lot of healing in our lives.
I could have people come up on this platform and they could share their testimonies. They can share ways that you have done amazing and incredible things in their life and how you have brought them healing. Have you have healed them from addictions? How you have healed them from certain pains, troubles, emotional and family issues that you have helped heal, relationships that you have given them and put in their lives that have helped encourage them. We give you praise and thanks for that. And Jesus, pray that you continue to heal, that you continue to go out and you touch people in and outside of this church. And Father, I pray for those right now, the healthcare workers who also need the same treatment as everybody else, my church family. I pray, Father, that they would give whatever they need to give to you right now so that you could bring healing and that you'd remind them, I love you. they are loved by you, that they are his children, that they are in Christ, that you're presently with them and that you forgive them and want to walk alongside of them. I pray if it is something that they know they're going to need accountability with and encouragement that they would not hesitate to share with a friend, someone who can help them and encourage them. Father, maybe there's somebody else here this morning And like Levi, maybe you, through whether the worship or the word or the message this morning, Father, that Jesus has shown up. And they know that they need grace. They know that their lives are not as they should be. They are, can see themselves walking one way, and they know that this something's not right. And I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would just grab them right now and that you would speak to them and invite them to follow, to follow Jesus. To see that there's new life, that there's a better life. Not always an easy life, but a better life full of more joy, more wholeness, and more healing. when we follow the God who loves us, the God who gives us grace. And so I pray somebody walks in that this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.